AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. In a clinical trial, Smile Actives users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to smileactives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on Charles Darwin. The nerds is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today, boy oh boy do we have a lot of major stuff to talk about with you all. Since we did our last NBA show, Steph Curry has set the all-time three-point record. A couple of major NBA figures have returned to the association and... Everybody has COVID. So, whole lot to get through. We were going to do this show a couple days ago, but here we are now. And honestly, probably for the best because we have even more to talk about. So, let's start, Logan, with what seems to be the pressing number one topic around the league right now. And that is the fact that I believe more than 60 players across 18 teams right now are in health and safety protocols. That includes KD, Giannis, John Morant, Anthony Edwards. The list goes on and on. So, given the state that the league is in right now, what do you make of this? How do they best handle this? Give us your thoughts. I mean, I think we have to take a break, bro. I don't know what other option there is. Like, uh, you give the updated numbers, 60 total across all the league. Like, last night, I know they threw out a stat. There were like 49 to like 53 players over the last seven days. I mean... It has truly ravaged the league. Like they they uh, they changed the two Bulls games as well. Like um, I don't know, man. Like it just seems like it is. I feel like if we continue, we're running the risk of maybe another shutdown. And like we cannot have that, man. I feel like, in my opinion, SB SB Nation wrote a really good article about this um, on this topic exactly, and they were like, "Let's take a break for a week. Let's resume action on Saturday or um, on Christmas Day." We have all these games lined up for that. Let these guys get a break midseason. I just think that's the right course of action, man, because the last thing that we want to have is a case where the majority of the league has COVID and we have to run into another lockdown across the league. Like, I just, 
I think that's the right play. And I also, uh, this isn't on the NBA. I read today that the NFL announced that they're not requiring mandatory COVID tests for vaccinated players. I just want to go on record now. I think that's the dumbest possible thing that the NFL could do in a situation like this. Um, with the variant, with how it has ravaged their league as well. I think it's, I think if there's any case, I think you need testing every single day on every player, man. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I just feel like we are really running a thin line um, across both leagues, really, man. And I think it's, I think it's time to take a pause for both leagues. And I, I just, I really think that there's a big, there's a big uh, potential for both leagues getting shut down for an extended period of time if we don't do it now. Mark my words, bro. This could be the weekend of hell in the NFL. I really think it's a bad look for them. Um, I think both leagues need to take a pause for sure. I think this is an unbelievably complex situation and is probably less straightforward than any other COVID decision that we've had up to this point. And yeah, there was a time where there was just a complete lack of information and everything felt like chaos. But this is really tough for a number of reasons. And Already, we have obviously seen the two distinct paths that you can kind of take here where, like what you're saying about the NFL, they are opting to reduce testing, I think, with the thought that, okay, if players aren't symptomatic, well, that's because the Omicron variant up to this point has seemingly been significantly less severe. And so it's then, okay, how do we manage this? Because I do think this is part of what's so tough is you can't always make the distinction between, okay, what variant is this? It does seem like a majority of what we're seeing right now is the Omicron variant just because it's so unbelievably contagious. And it's tough because I don't know if we have enough data yet to say, okay, this is a significantly different virus that we're dealing with. At the same time, I mean, there are some indications based on what we've seen out of South Africa, where obviously this all started, that their hospitalization rates from Omicron compared to other COVID variants could be like 90% lower. And at the same time, it's three times as contagious as like the Delta variant. So then you run into the question of, well, is this the same virus that killed 2% of the people that infected for the last two plus years? Should we, or not two plus, but close to two now, should we be treating it equally or is it just, okay, this is a coronavirus and so now we are going to be freaked out by that, understandably so, given what we've been through. So that's why this is so complex, because there's the argument of, OK, we don't have enough data. We do need to treat it with the same severity. At the same time, Lord knows these leagues do not want to obviously lose out on opportunity for revenue, especially like Christmas Day NBA. Is a week pause enough well, the incubation period for COVID can be two weeks. So it's like they have their protocol where it's two negative tests, 48 hours apart, and then you're cleared to return. So maybe they could get a majority of people back from that. But there's the possibility, given how contagious this variant is, that then you have 12% of the league back in protocols again shortly after. So that's where I can see where the NFL is coming from. If they are thinking this is less severe and obviously also very much thinking about their bottom line, their ability to continue and not put themselves in a position where they're trapped. Because if you shut the league down when you have 12 to 15% infection, well, what happens if you get higher than that again? Because with how contagious this is, that's possible. So I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I don't know if there's a clear best solution. What I am pretty confident in saying is that I don't think the NBA is going to shut down. We are seeing them take precautions to where now, starting December 26th, 
they're going to elevate testing for a couple weeks. So uh, they are taking action. But I think there are too many ways in which if they do something that drastic now, they trap themselves and they establish a precedent that they're not going to want to hold on to where I don't really see that happening. Yeah, and I think you hit something on the head with the more testing. I mean, the bottom line is right now what we're doing isn't effective enough. You know, I mean, like it is the what we have in protocols now for keeping players safe isn't working. So we need to change something. My question would be, I don't know, man. There's like you said, this is a complicated situation. There's a lot of factors. I just wonder what other options or what other routes the NBA could take. Do you reduce fans again? Like, we have seen the NHL. Um, the NHL has reduced fan capacity. There's been certain arenas and teams that have been affected enough to where they are saying, we're not allowing fans at all in our games. Do you think there's a chance we go back to that? I know that hinders revenue, but you're still giving getting that TV money. You know, like, and I feel like, I don't know, because we have to diagnose where it's coming from, and, you know, we can't directly attribute this just to the fans, but, I mean, that would... Do you think that's a necessary precaution? Do you think they should explore something like that? Not really, just because I don't think fan-player interaction is really a significant component in this. And, uh, I mean, I think there's a strong argument that obviously the fans are in a much more dangerous situation just because they are with thousands upon thousands of people, whereas the players are on the court with nine other people and, you know, are interacting with 20-something other people throughout the game. And I do think that's actually an argument in favor of shutting the league down for a week or whatever, because I was talking about this with a friend yesterday, and he was talking about how societally, especially if you know it is significantly less lethal, then everybody needs to be able to learn to live with the virus, right? I think the counter-argument is the NBA is small enough to where you really can control the environment. It's obviously much more difficult to shut down society. We've done it. I don't think many people want that to happen again. But when you're talking about a thousand people, I mean, including players and staffs and whatnot, that is a manageable population. So I don't know that fans are really the point of emphasis as far as the league itself staying afloat, as far as public health, yes. But frankly... I don't think that is the top priority for these leagues right now. I think that their goal is to survive, keep going, and keep their money however possible. But clearly, I mean, it's resulting in kind of this ridiculous dynamic where the Nets have 11 players unavailable right mm -hmm. now. I mean, it is truly ridiculous, some of the lineups that we're going to see trotted out there. But there's the question of, can we wait this out? I'm very conflicted. And that's why I don't feel comfortable proposing what I think is the best solution. I just think the league is going to proceed. I don't think it stops. And I do think this will improve. We're also obviously at the worst part of the year for the virus to be spread. I mean, we are in the season and that's probably going to be the case for, I don't know exactly. I'm not an epidemiologist, but a couple other months or whatever, right through winter. So it's not going to totally go away. So it's really, really tough. And we also have significantly less research into a vaccine for this variant than, you know, others. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we, we've been working on boosters and stuff, but uh, we definitely don't have enough data and stuff to really effectively combat the new variant as well as we could. You don't think there's any situation in which we get a pause or a shutdown whatsoever? You think the NBA keeps going no matter what? 
I would be very surprised. I think that the NBA is probably the most likely league to do something like that. I mean, the NFL, I would say no way. The NBA, obviously, Adam Silver tends to be more socially conscious and kind of liberal in his decision-making, and so that would probably play to that side of the public favor. But I would be surprised. I really think that they're probably going to look at this and say, hey, this isn't totally going away. We are not getting enough indication that a large amount of human lives are being threatened that selfishly they're going to look at it and say it's best for us to continue. Do you think there's going to be an asterisk at all on the end of the year standings at all or anything like that? I mean, because it definitely is going to have an effect on outcomes of games. I mean, again, you see what the lineups the Nets are trotting out with David Duke and Kessler Edwards, and uh, Mm -hmm. you see what lineups other teams are trotting out with all these stars out. Like, do you think there's going to be a little bit of a – is there going to be an asterisk at all on this season on the outcomes uh, this year standings-wise? Well, I mean, this was something of an inevitability. We just had a full basketball season in the throes of COVID. No bubble, and yeah, people got it, and it's certainly more prevalent right now than it ever was, but we had guys talking about this before the year and before last year. This is a component, and it's unfortunate, but this is the world that we live in. It's like all these things are trying to coexist, and you can't have absolute normalcy while also undergoing a pandemic. It's just not possible as much as I think we would all love that, and the sports world, I think, has really tried to get us to that point. I mean, obviously fans are in the stands and leagues are overwhelmingly vaccinated and things are by and large normal. And this is a moment where you kind of have to look at things and think, okay, do we hit the panic button? Do we reset? And it's an incredibly difficult decision. And I think that you can justify multiple sides, but I do think it's going to be tough for the NBA to proceed exactly as things are right now. I actually think that they might kind of have to go one of two directions as far as putting things on pause so you significantly reduce the population that has COVID in this moment or taking the NFL approach where you say we're comfortable enough not testing people because we're not actually worried about you know their health and safety in the same way we would have normally been. I wouldn't be comfortable with that just because I think we're too early on in the Omicron experience to say that and there are more important things than basketball games but I don't know they may run into a situation where it's like kind of consistently at least for a few weeks 10 plus percent of the league has COVID I mean yeah like you don't think it's you don't think it's reckless at all because I think the NFL approach is completely reckless like I think it's Mm -hmm. almost I don't know man I think it's like you said we're just rolling the dice and we're just going to cross our fingers and hope that I don't know, man. I think the NFL approach is so stupid. I think it's the dumbest thing that they could do. I am not a supporter of that. I agree with you. I don't think that it's the right move now. I just think it's too early, and it's really feeling like a bottom-line-driven, hey, we just need to survive. But that's kind of my point, is if you are going to survive, it's really tough to do that when 10% of your league is in COVID protocols for an extended period of time. So... That's why it's so complicated. Like, there's so many different factors at play, and I really, truly do not know what the best answer is right now. I have thought they should go on pause, but I don't think that they're going to. And uh, 
I don't know if they need to. Like, so tough, man. Really, when have we ever had the answers for the last <laughs> two years? Not often, but this is yet another iteration of that. I will say there's definitely a lot of downsides to this. There's a lot of negatives, but if we can try to put some sort of a positive spin on this, um, we have seen a lot of new NBA guys get action, and that is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I don't want to go too in deep here, but it's been nice to see some guys from the G get burned. It's been nice to see some bench guys get a little more time on the floor. Uh, we see Deuce McBride get some run. We see Bones Highland. Like Even watching some of the guys who don't traditionally have the rock in their hands as much, like... Uh, I don't know, watching some of these other teams with stars out, watching some of their other stars get a little more burned. It has been fun to watch. Um, that's the only positive I've taken out of this. You know, I don't want guys to get COVID, but it has been nice seeing a little bit of switch up in uh, guys getting some more time on the floor because of COVID. Deuce McBride, now also in COVID protocols. That's a very Logan Camden take. Most people are saying, hey, we're basically seeing the G League right now. This sucks. Logan's saying, hey. We're basically seeing the G League right now. Logan, that's what the G League is for, okay? I love the obscure guys as much as anybody, but I would rather see the best players available. Call me crazy. COVID got Isaiah Thomas back in the league, Carson. You know what? Yeah. And it got him 19 points in his debut. Walking bucket, that guy. One of my favorite players when he was at his peak, truly. So, we'll see how things proceed from here. Now, there is one player who has been quite relevant in relation to COVID since before the season even began, and that is Kyrie Irving, who is going to be returning to the Brooklyn Nets only for road games, and this was the debate before the year was, okay, would he play if he can't play at home because of New York law? He still can't do that, but he is going to come back and play in road games for the Nets. He is also amusingly in COVID protocols right now and is not vaccinated still. But what is the significance of that when he is back out there and available for the Nats? Well, I'll, I'll get into the significance, but I, I think it's funny, man. Um, just that, like, it seemed like the league before the season, man, it seems like they were scared. Um, oh, you know, he's going to be the one guy that could let us down because he's not vaccinated. You know what I mean? Like, the league painted him out as as a big-time scapegoat, that he could be the the weak link in letting COVID into the league, you know what I mean? Oh, the, the vaccines are going to keep guys from getting COVID. Well, we obviously, you know, unforeseen circumstances, but we obviously see that that isn't the case. I just think it's interesting at how the league's hand, I feel like, was almost forced um, into letting Kyrie back in. It's like, what we're doing has not kept our players secure, has not kept them safe, so at this point, who cares? I will say, though, as for the Nets, I, I think a few things. I think, one... Kyrie coming up, coming back, gives them a leg up for the season um, with the rest of the league dealing with COVID protocol issues. This is stating the obvious, but I mean, when you have three stars instead of two, you're more likely to have more guys healthy the rest of the way. That just gives them a leg up. When you have three special isolation scoring talents like these guys, you're more likely to have one of these guys healthy um, at any given chance. So it helps in that way. As this pertains to the long term and for the playoffs, Obviously, you can only have Kyrie for three to four games in a playoff series, depending on if the Nets have home field advantage, which is interesting. But to that, I'd say, you know, if you're if you're mad that Kyrie's not going to be available for an entire series, I think the argument would be that the Nets still might be the favorites out of the East without him, and three to four games in a playoff series might be enough to swing it entirely. Um, and I want to I want to give you some credit on the Nets as a whole, Carson. 
you were completely right about them preseason. Nobody hit the nail on the heads on the Nets roster and their outlook for the season better than you. You told me, without Kyrie Irving, they might have a top-notch defense because they're going to be so much more engaged. In the playoffs last season, they were so much more engaged. When they locked in and they wanted to be, they were a good defense. Well, they're fifth in defensive rating on the season. That is no longer an issue. They're eighth in offensive rating without Kyrie Irving. They are sixth in net rating, and that's third out east behind the Bucks and the Cavs. I mean, with a healthy Kyrie Irving for three to four games in a series, like... Like I said, man, I know they haven't been shooting hot recently. They've been kind of poor from behind the arc. If you're just shooting, you know, 36% from behind the arc with three of these guys healthy for the majority of a playoff series with one of the top five best defenses in the NBA, like like I said, man, without Kyrie Irving, they may be the favorite out east. With him, I think they may be the overwhelming favorite. Again, with only three to four games in a series, like, you're a— your KD's foot being a couple inches shorter away from going to the finals anyway last season, like, um, you still have the second-best endgame shot-creating duo in basketball, in my opinion, second to only Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan. And I stand by Yo, that take, Carson. What? I no. stand by that. I stand by that take, okay? I stand by that take. Let, let, me, <laughs> let me wrap this up, but... With Kyrie Irving, man, you have you get the best offensive trio in basketball. And again, it's not for the majority of the series, but when they're the, when they're already the favorites with a defense this good, it may just give them that firepower that they need. I know that's stating the obvious, but um, I don't know. I guess there's also another concern that they're going to be harder on Kyrie because he's not vaccinated. It's a tougher road, but him just being out there gives the Nets that punch, man. And so uh, I'm excited to see him play. I don't care if it's just road games. I don't care if it's going to be the, from the majority of a playoff series. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and I do think it makes them the favorites out east. I don't understand your Levine and DeRozan over KD and Kyrie take, okay? I understand it more over KD and Harden, specifically about late-game shot-making just because there's the element of, okay, getting a bucket no matter what. Harden can be more formulaic. Kyrie is one of the great mid-range shot-makers and one-on-one shot-creation artists. I wasn't artists saying that. I wasn't clutch. saying that. I was saying with Harden oh. and KD. Okay. All right. Well, that's more acceptable. I thought you were saying Katie and Kyrie. All right. I guess I'll allow that. I still disagree, but it's definitely closer. So I think that the Nets very well may be the title favorite with Kyrie Irving out there. I think clearly they've got to be a top four favorite. I think they already are one of the five best teams in basketball, but that top tier is so strong with the Warriors, the Jazz, the Suns, the Bucks, and Brooklyn. But I think that you lay out a lot of the reasons why they are so primed for success. They're fifth in defensive rating, and they're eighth in offensive rating without Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie last year was the best version of himself we have ever seen with that kind of spacing, just with his constant skill development. Put up 27 a night on 51-40-92 splits. So to introduce that to any offense that has still been really, really good with James Harden being very inefficient by his standards, without Joe Harris... How could they not become basically the best offense in basketball again? I mean, last year, they were the best offense ever. And it really felt like they were going to win it all if they had been healthy. And since then, they have added LaMarcus Aldridge, who has been unbelievable as an offensive weapon and is giving you like 14 a night very efficiently and is one of the best mid-range shot makers on the planet. You've added Patty Mills, who obviously brings a ton of offensive value. DeAndre Bembry, who has just been all-around balling. Like... Their depth is improved, they have more weapons, and 
I just don't understand how with Kyrie out there, they aren't even better than they were last year. Yes, their defense may regress some, but they were, what, 21st in defensive rating last year? They're fifth in defensive rating right now. They're not dropping that low again. So I just think all those components, man, yeah, sure, it would certainly be nice if they had Kyrie Irving for every game. And then I think they probably would be the title favorites. But I still think this team should be even better than last year. And it's crazy. They don't want home court advantage. Like, I don't think that they should because you got to play a game seven with Kyrie Irving. I would certainly like that. But it's really a group with the potential to be special given the fact that they have improved in so many areas. And it's also just not sustainable what KD has had to do for this team. I mean, playing 37 minutes a night and having this ridiculous offensive load, it's not reasonable. And he was going to rest even before he got put in COVID protocols today. So I just think in every way, release valve, shot maker, just a guy who can alleviate the pressure on some of the other great guys, big time clutch performer, a constant off ball weapon, just creating even more spacing for this team. And again, we haven't seen Joe Harris, who is just an unbelievable offensive weapon when he's healthy and their role guys are significantly better than last year when still with basically no James Harden and Kyrie Irving they very well could have won a game seven against the eventual champion Milwaukee Bucks so the Nets have been very good they are only getting better with Kyrie Irving and might have to be my title pick again yeah and I think you can make an argument that this team this year already without Kyrie is already better than the team we saw last year solely because of the defensive components and the role players that they've added so then I'll ask you point blank Carson are they this is tough kind of wanted to avoid this (laughs) I really want to see what level they can sustain defensively because if they are a back half top 10 defense I think that they are. Because again, I think that they'll be the best offense in basketball once more. Best offense pretty much of all time. And I do think that they've added some quality defensive pieces and have clearly refined their identity there. And we saw it in the playoffs last year. But if they're average defensively, I don't know. Because I think the other four teams in that top five, the Jazz, the the Bucks, the Warriors, and the Suns, are such complete elite two-way teams I feel like the Nets have to at least be within striking distance of some of those groups defensively. But offensively, I think they have a higher ceiling. Defensively, I think they're clearly much better than ever before. This is a really tough question. I don't want to answer this question because we haven't even seen Kyrie out there. But yes, I actually think that they would be. Do you think that the Nets should like... This is a weird question. I I'm, I don't know why I'm asking it. But like, do you think the Nets should intentionally... like? drop games so they're a lower seed to like raise their chances of having Kyrie I don't know such a weird question that we even have to ask look we'll talk about that in another 40 something games when it becomes really relevant but (laughs) no I don't think the Nets can deliberately tank for seeding I mean not for like multiple games if they want to sit everybody in game 82 well yeah I think they could definitely do that but they're not going to do that for the last eight to ten games of the year But it's a crazy calculus that they now have to work with. And who knows? Maybe policy could be different by the end of the year. I mean, we're still five months away, but doesn't seem super likely given how things are trending. So what do you think? Are they the title favorite to you if they have Kyrie for half their games? 
Maybe, man. I I mean, I'm thinking at least out of the East. Like, I still really like Miami. I really like Milwaukee with a healthy Giannis. Um, those are my top three for sure. Probably, dude. The Nets are probably my favorite. And I, I really want to see... I really want to see Chicago down the stretch because I still think Chicago is a really interesting team out mm-hmm. East. Like, I... I still believe, like, Levine and DeRozan, I genuinely believe, can make a deep run in the playoffs and make things interesting just because of what they can do in the fourth quarter. Those are my top four for sure. But, um, yeah, man, if the Nets sustain this defense, I think they've got to be. For what it's worth, I also think the Bulls are clearly the sixth-best team in basketball. I'm conflicted already because it's like there's components about the every – or not the every other game, but the only away games that's like – it's going to be weird for them to establish a rhythm. Like, that's just not normal basketball. Nobody's ever had to do that. So, yeah. I'm not comfortable saying. I really am not. We'll see how it looks. I think it's going to look really great when they are all out there. But when there's this many other teams that are so, so good and complete, yeah, it's kind of a disadvantage when you aren't going to have one of your three all-time special players for half your games. So, nevertheless, very exciting, and I'm glad that we're going to get to see Kyrie. So much talent in the league that it hasn't felt like night to night, oh man, we're missing this guy, but boy, is he a joy to watch. And again, he's better than he's ever been, and his team is really quite exceptional, except for, of course, right now, because they are without 11 players. All right, so we've got more NBA news to get through here, and that is that Danny Ainge is joining the Utah Jazz as their alternate governor and CEO. This news just came out a couple days ago. Pretty interesting, adding another obviously very experienced, smart guy to that front office for what has been one of the best teams in basketball very consistently. So, Logan, what are your thoughts on this? Well, first, I mean, it's definitely really interesting that he's back because it seemed like he was done with basketball. You know, he retired from the Celtics after 18 seasons as head of uh, basketball operations. My man was out golfing, chilling in the hot tub, you know, really enjoying life, uh, taking a load off. And so, I mean, I guess the question you would ask for Utah's perspective is why did they hire him? Well, the answer is trade season is about to commence, um, and... Like you said, man, he's a brilliant basketball mind. He's one of the smartest, most innovative GMs of all time. You know, he traded for Ray Allen. He traded for KG. Like, Danny is a guy that pioneered swinging for the fences and, you know, building a... Like, I don't know. Like, I was trying to think before the pod if there was any teams that I could think about or, uh, you know, a front office that pioneered, like, trading and making super teams. And, like, obviously, before Ainge in the 90s, you know, we saw the the Pippen and Barkley trades to, like, the Rockets. You know what I mean? We saw a team like that. Like, we've seen it before, but this was the first one that was really successful. Either way, the Jazz are getting a a really smart guy that, that knows basketball, that knows what to do. My question is, are the Jazz planning something that we don't know about? You know what I mean? Like, are they gearing up for a big move, or do they want another set of eyes on something that they're planning? And then on that, I was, you know, because, again, this is really when trades start kicking off in the NBA season. So I don't know if there's some ulterior plan in the works, but I also just wonder if that is the case, what else do the Jazz need? You know what I mean? I I don't really know if the Jazz can acquire anything else that will be better than what they already have or if there's any pieces on the market that would be really valuable to them. Um, I will say, last thing, uh, 
I really think this is a good fit, too. Uh, Ainge attended BYU, so, you know, I mean, he's familiar with the area. He knows Utah. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's interesting. I just really wonder if the Jazz are planning something bigger or if they've got a, a move on the table that, that they want to make. Um, and so I'll just ask you, what do you think about the move? And then also, do you think the Jazz need anything else? Is there a move that they could make to get tangibly better? So... I'm a fan of the move because you're adding more smart, experienced people to your organization. I think that Justin Zanuck is a great GM and has built an unbelievable roster and sustained and added to that roster in Utah consistently. And they've really gotten better personnel-wise every year for the last few. I am with you, though, in the sense that I'm not sure what major things are coming. Like... I think this is a championship roster, and I know that the Jazz didn't grab everybody immediately this season just because they lost a few games early, but we said this a while ago, you can't have them in a different tier than the Suns and the Warriors just because there was a slight difference in record early, and they have been the team with the best offense and have had the best net rating, and so it's a really great group that I think is in potential to, has potential as always to or not as always, but as they did last year, contend for a title if they get the right matchups and if everybody plays up to the best of their abilities. So I don't know what's really missing, and I don't know if they're necessarily bringing Danny Ainge in to play a role in that or if it's just, hey, here's a smart Utah guy. He seems to be willing to come back into basketball. We are bringing him back. I don't know that there's enough for me to say. I don't think that Danny Ainge is going to be like the primary decision maker here. He's also getting involved with the Smith Entertainment Group. He's taking the CEO position of that as well, if I'm not mistaken, which is Ryan Smith, the owner of the Jazz's company. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like this is going to be day-to-day Danny Ainge. It's not like he's the GM here or anything, but he's another smart guy, and I support adding smart guys to your organization. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's no... There's zero downside to this. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, as long as Ainge is committed and, like, still engaged, because I guess that's kind of the other aspect that you could look at this as if... I don't know, though. I mean, Ainge wouldn't take this job if he didn't want to come back into basketball, if he wasn't... You know, I mean, if he, if he was enjoying retirement, he would have stayed out. Like, there's no downside for this move whatsoever. A brilliant guy like Danny Ainge, I love it. Um, I was thinking, man, too, I was like, I don't know if they're... Like, genuinely, in my convoluted mind, I was like, oh, this is... This is this is how they get DeMontis Sabonis. But then I don't really like that fit. I don't really think it you could make it work contract wise, but then you got Sabonis starting a lot alongside Gobert. I don't know though. I I don't think there's any ulterior plan. I think this is just a smart basketball move, but uh I think it makes sense. And like I said, man, there's no there's no downside to this. I agree. And we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how exactly his role is defined going forward, but It's fun, man. I mean, it's more news. It's more stuff involving a really, really great team, and it's interesting. But I don't really have a whole ton to say on it yet just because, again, we don't really know enough, in my opinion, but you're adding another good decision maker. So with that, Logan, we've kind of hit on the major headlines of the week. Let's talk, though, about some very interesting teams that have stood out as of late, and one of those is is the Milwaukee Bucks, who uh, we just haven't talked about a whole ton this year, given, obviously, how good of a team they are, how consistently relevant they are, and, I don't know, the fact that they're the reigning NBA champions. 
got off to such a weird start to the year just because of injuries and whatnot, and then have kind of cruised when healthy since. So what are we thinking about the Bucks right now? Well, uh, I, I still believe in the Bucks. I still think one of the best teams in the league. Like you talk about, we just talk about a team like Utah with such a consistent two-way formula. The Bucks are in that same boat. I mean, again, they're still attempting nearly 43s a game, the fourth most in the NBA. And I mean, if you're going to look at like their recent stretch, they're six and four over the last two games. They're only shooting 35% from behind the arc. Like this is still a team that I believe that if they're shooting. <laughs> If they're shooting 37, 38 to 40% from behind, you're not going to beat them. Like, the Bucks are just inevitable like that. And again, this has been with a lot without Giannis, too. Like, they don't have their best player out there on the floor collapsing defenses. So, I, I, I think all of that plays into the percentage drop off this and that. Um, Connaughton, Allen, Middleton, Holiday are all over 39% from uh, deep in the last 10. They have been on fire. Uh, two high-volume guys and then Warren Portis have been cold. Like, I just think it's really dependent on the shot. The one guy I want to focus on, though, dude, I was really skeptical of this move before uh, the finals run, and really just in general. Drew Holiday has really been showing out, man. Um, drops 40 uh, last game. I mean, dude, the tough bucket getting late was so impressive. Just, I don't know, man. It's just weird. Like, when Giannis is on the floor, you don't get alpha Drew Holiday. And it's been a minute since I've seen that guy. And... I don't know, man. It really looked like you were seeing just all-star Drew out there. He looked so confident. He looked so... I don't know, man. It's a different Drew. Like, he looked tentative at some points last season. Like, he looks in alpha mode. Over these last 10, he's putting up 21-7 and seven on, like, 41% from behind the arc, on over 50% from the field. He's just been really impressive, man. And without Giannis, he's just... He's blown me away. Last night, really... Uh, or last game, excuse me, really showed me... Uh, what I had been missing. Like, I had been skeptical of Drew, but he has really been impressing me lately. But the bucket getting late was so, so impressive. Without Giannis, everybody paying attention to him on the floor, and it did matter. He was getting into the mid-range. He was getting to his spots. Um, I've just been really impressed with Drew lately, and uh, I'm all in on the Bucks, man. With a healthy Giannis, TBH, dude, they may be second to me behind the Nets. Like, I, I still think those might be the two best teams out East. Oh, out East or in the league. Yeah, yeah, sorry. not I, I didn't mean to say in the league. Oh, 100%. I mean, I think that they're clearly top two, and I think that they have a legitimate case for the best. And this is what's so amazing about this NBA season is the Nets should be better than last year. The Warriors, obviously, who I think officially, here's my statement, until the Nets prove that they deserve that title, the Warriors will remain my title favorite for now just because defensively unbelievable, and you're adding Klay Thompson back. The Jazz, I think, have a better roster than last year, pretty clearly. The Suns are better than last year. Maybe didn't expect it, but nevertheless, they are. And then I think the Bucks, the same thing can be said. Like, everybody's just getting better, and it is such a consistent formula. I mean, they're 7th in offensive rating, they're 6th in defensive rating, just a phenomenal two-way team, as always. And in the minutes that their big three guys play together... They have an offensive rating of better than 113. They have a defensive rating of 100.6. Unbelievably stingy. And they're 13-2 and two when the three of them play together. So this is why I don't think we ever hit the panic button. This is why I don't think we ever did a Are the Bucks in Trouble segment when they were floating around 500, 10 games into the year or whatever. Because it's like, hey, we know who they are. Nobody has been more consistently great in the regular season. And when they're healthy, that formula is just there. So you can't be surprised by this. And... One of the major reasons I say 
They should really be better. And honestly, man, could easily have a case for best team in the East and best team in the league, again, when they are fully healthy, is that Grayson Allen and Bobby Portis have mm-hmm. been unbelievable. Don't leave Pat Connaughton out of that conversation either, bruh. Okay, sure. Pat always does his job. He's quite good at it. But I like these two guys a little bit more and have consistently been very high on them. But, like, both playing the best basketball of their careers. Bobby is awesome and has been a more willing floor spacer where he's putting up, like, almost five threes a game, hitting 40% of them. I mean, he's playing basically perfect basketball by his standards. He's giving you 16-9 and on 47-40-79 splits while playing unbelievable defensively. He's holding opposing players to 37.5% shooting when he's their primary defender, more than 8% below their average. That's unreal, especially given the fact that we have seen inconsistencies from him there at times. And then you have Grayson giving you 13 a night on 42% from deep, and we know the kind of pure shot maker that he is, while also being a dog on defense and holding people to 38% shooting when he's the primary defender. So those two right now, Grayson Allen being a new introduction, Bobby Portis being a guy who obviously was key last year, but has even taken a significant leap since then. Those two playing at that level, they are just about as good as any role player on any previous version of these Bucks teams. And then you look up and down and the shooting is great. They have multiple creators on offense. They're great defensively. And Dante DiVincenzo is going to be back once he gets cleared from health and safety protocols. Brooke Lopez, no timetable for him as he's dealing with back surgery, but if he is just back at some point this year, once you throw Connaughton in there, that top eight is unbelievable. I mean, like outside of maybe the Jazz, is there a better top eight in basketball if you're just looking at how good is your eighth guy? I actually think that might be the best. Like, that is ridiculous. And then you still have George Hill and you have other guys who can come in and play decent enough minutes, so... Man, the contenders are going to be so, so good when we see them at full strength this year. And obviously, we didn't get that last year, which was a bummer. But the Bucs really should be better, a decent amount better than they were last year when they won the title. They're going to have more imposing challengers. But man, is a lot going right for them right now. And they have made some good moves and they have improved, I think, unquestionably. With the uh, with the loss of P.J. Tucker, and I, and I guess with the addition of of Grayson now, do you still like think that they have the defensive versatility enough to combat uh, a net squad with Kyrie? Yeah, I think that they have pretty darn good personnel. I mean, if Bobby Portis continues to defend like this, I feel very good about it. If Brooke gets back and is himself, well, then you have multiple different ways to attack any different team. And... We've seen what they're able to do defensively without Brooke, and it's been really, really good. And clearly, you know, they don't need to just take that, hey, funnel guys in towards Brooke Lopez in the paint approach. They are athletic enough. They have enough dudes who are just significant plus defenders to where they are completely excelling on that end too. When it comes playoff time, do you still think the Nets should, or the Nets, do you think the Bucks should go back to running Giannis at the five and running Brooke against bench units like full time? Well, I don't know about full-time. I mean, I think you strike a balance between the two, and uh, I think that we saw them find success with that last year. So, no, I would say you feel it out based on the matchup, but obviously we've seen how great they are with Giannis at the five, and 
their identity defensively is still the same. I mean, they're still letting up the most threes in basketball and are defending them pretty darn well. But they're doing it without Brooke Lopez, and they're just a great team, man. Like, props to the Bucks because I had my issues with them in the past, and I was a skeptic of certain things, and even the title run didn't always fully clear up those questions, but I feel like they're even better now. And I'm very excited to see what level they can reach once all these guys come together because let's not forget how good Dante DiVincenzo is, man. I mean, that dude is another unbelievable super role player. And you have five of those guys plus a really pretty special big three. I don't know, man. Like, that's kind of tough to top. Dude, I think you might have to add the Bucks to like one of your your list of favorite teams. Like they got a lot of guys. You talk about crackhead Bobby Portis a lot, man. You talk about you talk about Dante DiVincenzo way more than the average NBA fan should. You like you loved Grayson Allen before he came to Milwaukee. You just need to add him to your list, bro. Look, I don't know why I would not love Dante DiVincenzo. Swiss Army knife, baby. That dude just makes plays. He makes stuff happen. And they've got guys like that up and down this roster. Like, it's just beyond the talent, they have personalities and skill sets that gel and complement each other, and the depth is great. And genuinely, I think, like, there are four different teams who I could easily convince myself, hey, they should be the title favorite. I'm leaving the Suns out of that conversation. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I think they're very good, but I do still think... I don't know. It's just so reliant on their top two guys. They don't quite have the same potential for offensive explosion, but they're a great team. They're a great team, and clearly they deserve the utmost respect, and maybe I shouldn't have taken a dig at them right there, but I don't feel like their best version is as good as the other four teams in my top five. I just disagree. Where would you have the Suns in your hierarchy? I mean, you talk about ceiling, man. There's just like such a... I hate I hate saying this because it's such a like cop out answer, dude. The the chemistry on the Suns is unreal, and I uh-huh. genuinely feel like I feel like man that I'm not saying DeAndre Aiden is like taking a leap or anything, but like he, I don't know, man. Like he's had some great. I moments. don't know the, the the chemistry factor, the defense that you're still getting from him. The I just feel like the continuity aspect of the Suns still makes them deadly. I agree with you. Your your argument isn't your argument is sound here is that late in games you're depending on those guys again two smaller guards like that's there's a distinction to be made between a a Katie and a Kyrie um, and how effortless it is for them it's a little more difficult for Chris Paul and Devin Booker and I think that's again undersized slower guards you know more dependent on pace late in games it's a little harder for them to just get to those spots so I think you make a good case but. I, I just don't think that matters. I think the chemistry, the continuity, the they all play. I don't know. You give credit to the Bucks for having these guys that complement each other so well. I think it's the same case in Phoenix. I agree. And maybe they don't have as – I don't know. I, I just disagree, bro. I think the Suns are probably, for me, Dubs are one. Nets are probably two. The Suns are somewhere fighting for three or four. I think – they're fantastic. I, I think that clearly they have earned that level of respect. I, I'm not being an anti-Suns guy. I think they can win the title. I think that like they're a great team. But I just think, if you look at them, I mean, they have the worst offense out of those top five teams. And I think that 
Teams like the Bucks and the Nets only have room for growth. They do complement each other unbelievably well. They have fantastic starting five and some really good role guys. But it's just like, I don't see the same ceiling. I just don't. We've talked about it before, but it's the effortless of the effortlessness of creating offense. The lack of like that kind of top ten guy. There are just things that I think slightly limit the Suns in ways that these other teams are not limited. But I don't know how I had to go on an anti-Sun spiel here because I think that they're great. What about Utah then? I mean, because I think you could make a a good enough argument at the end of games, like because I mean, all they have I'm is not Donovan talking about Mitchell. the end of games. I'm talking about 48 minutes. I actually think that the Suns are pretty well equipped for the end of games. I mean, that's when but difficult I mean, shot making becomes the thing. How is that different than from Utah to Phoenix? The Jazz have the best offensive rating in the NBA by four points. They're one of the best shooting teams that we've ever seen. I thought you were just singling out the top two. No, I'm saying there are components like the Jazz just create so many easy, wide-open shots, and they have so many shot makers on their roster. The Suns, it is always harder, and that has always been the case. We're nitpicking, but that's like undeniable. I mean, the Jazz offense is just like effortless, great shot after great shot after great shot, and they have dudes who will knock them down very consistently. I'm not saying they're perfect, but they have a formula that just works better than the Suns offensively. I genuinely, I still think I have the Suns three. Okay, we'll see. I think the Jazz, man, they were my pick to get out of the West before the year. I would have the Warriors above them now because of their defensive ceiling, but the Jazz are so great, and uh, I'm a believer. All right, let's talk about a team out West that is certainly not in that top tier that we were just talking about. Remains fascinating forever. Logan, the LA Lakers. I mean, we have... Touched on this circus plenty of times throughout the year, but Anthony Davis now suffered a knee injury. They are still sitting just a couple games above 500. Let's check in on the Lakers. What's your take on where they stand right now? Well, yeah, I think it's just important to talk about after the uh, AD situation. Uh, they announced like an hour ago, you know, he's got an MCL sprain. It'll be reevaluated in four to six weeks. If he's out for an extended period of time, again, I think this is stating the obvious, it kills the Lakers' title chances. This season, you know, we've talked about AD before. He hasn't been maximizing his own game. He is still living off of... My dad, actually, I thought, made a good point. I mean, I don't think you can tangibly... When we were watching the uh, last Lakers game, he made an interesting point to me. You know, I don't feel like AD has worked on his game since the 2020 Finals. And I don't know if that's the case. I don't think you can make a broad statement like that without knowing in watching practice and regiments. But I think AD, because of how effective he was at shooting the basketball, I still think he's painted himself into that corner, that he's going to be that, oh, I'm most effective when I'm knocking down my jump shots. No, well, that's not really the case. I don't think he, I think that still fundamentally needs to change. It doesn't mean that he's not a valuable part of this rotation. They still desperately need him no matter what he's doing offensively. Um, I still think it is interesting, man. You look at the on-off numbers, uh, They've been horribly in the negative without uh, LeBron and Russ and just AD. They've been negative with AD uh, at the five as well this season, so I think those are also interesting to look at. Still, um, he's an invaluable member of the defense. He's a transcendent defensive player. They need him here. But I do think it's really upsetting because of the timing, Carson. I don't know if you felt this way, but watching that Mavericks game, man, I really thought like they were finding themselves a little bit. Um, AD. Uh, settling a little less for that jumper, rolling to the rack a little more. Russ taking less perimeter shots, playing smart basketball. 
That last play of the game was really telling about Russ and what he wants to do in clutch moments. That was the best play Russ could have made in that game. Uh, in the corner, taking that jab step and driving to the rack and kicking to Austin Reeves. Because I was sitting there, shoot that ball, Russ. Please shoot that from the corner and clang this <laughs> so I can laugh at you and go, ha, 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 Russell Westbrook. Um, that was the best play he could have made. And I just felt, wow, it really looks like this team is gelling together. They're hitting their stride. They're playing smarter basketball. Again, AD made a couple defensive lapses that game, but he's rolling to the rack a little more. So it's just poor timing as well, I felt. The last thing I want to say on the Lakers, Carson, um, specific to the AD injury and what happened during that play, LeBron James is a great human being. He's a great man. What he does for his community is great. He's building schools. He gives back. He does humanitarian work. He is... LeBron is a good dude. He's a great person. I know that. And I don't want to paint a picture that isn't there on court. On the court, and I feel bad for saying this. This is trigger word. LeBron's a dirty little bitch, man. LeBron is. And on that play, Carson, LeBron calls that injury 100%. He pushes Jaden Daniels right into AD's leg. And I'm not going to call karma on that, but... That's how it feels. LeBron literally just point Blake shoves Jaden McDaniels right into AD's left leg. And I don't feel like enough people are talking about this. Um, also during that game, man, you have him throwing that ball directly off Jared Vanderbilt's head. People can talk he was trying to throw a flashy pass there. I think he was just being a dick. Like, I don't know, man. Like, LeBron really ticks me off in situations like that where you can tell he's frustrated and does some shit like that. But... I think he calls that injury 100%. Like, he pushes Jaden McDaniels point blank. Um, I just wanted to get that off my chest, man. I think LeBron's a LeBron's a good dude off, off the floor, but when he's on it, man, LeBron can just be a big old bitch. It's a pretty strong take. I mean, it's an offensive foul, man. Like, he pushes off. That happens. Guys do that all the time. And whether or not there's a frustration element, He's not thinking that he's going to injure his teammate. Like, yeah, I agree. I'm not he's responsible. I know, but it's like there's an implication that's a little strong with what you're saying. Look, obviously, I'm not the biggest fan of LeBron's on-court temperament and behavior all the time, but I don't know. I'm not ready to I wish, be that strong. I wish Gabe Swartz was here to curse me out live on the pod. Do you think, do you think LeBron's a—I'm uh, not going to say it again because I've run it back— you think LeBron's a little B-word, Carson, on the court, how he plays? I don't know. I don't really care. You ready for one of my takes? I think that we should be more accepting of people in athletic contexts to behave suboptimally. All right? Now, obviously not if you're hurting people, not if you're getting physical with other people, but I don't mind whining. I don't mind people getting upset because it's like, guess what, buddy? You're super competitive. I understand that. Competition is intense. It makes you angry. I've said this take before, but I don't think you should get texts for language unless it's really something exceptional. I don't think you should get texts for getting pissed at refs. I just don't think those kind of things should impact the game, and I'm not super interested in talking about whether or not I think LeBron's a B-word. I mean, I just think he's I just think he's inherently kind of a dirty scumbag on the court. Oh, my I think God. The, <laughs> like, I think the way he... The way he acts, the way he conducts himself, like, I'm not, 
look, man, like I said, off the like LeBron's the second greatest player of all time. He's a great person off the floor. But the way he acts and conducts himself on the court is not the and I guess I'm I'm going with the standard of other legends, like when I think of a like I don't know, man. Kobe and MJ are competitive guys, but I don't mm. feel like they're you could tell when he pushed Jaden McDaniels right there that it was out of frustration, that it was out of... I don't know, man. I don't like that. I don't like that you just get mad and you just shove a guy because you're you're PO'd. Okay. Do you, I don't like that. Do you hate Luka Doncic with all your heart? Do you hate Nikola Jokic? Luka does have some bitch tendencies. I mean, we can... Like, Luka does have some... What about Jokic? Luka does have some... Jokic gets angry. Jokic has gotten physical with people twice now. Yeah, I'd say Jokic does as well. See, and I love those guys as players. So I'd be a little hypocritical if I said, yeah, I think LeBron sucks because he gets upset. And I mean, there are other things, obviously people talk about his flopping or whatever, but people just focus on him because he's I the feel face like, of the league. I feel like Jokic, Jokic gets mad, but I don't know if I've ever, have you ever seen Jokic initiate something like that? I don't know, but he's, he complains to refs all the time. I actually think he's more justified. I think he gets officiated less favorably than any other star in the league. But he whines all the time. He doesn't get back on defense sometimes. He's pushed people. Like, he gets angry. He's got some temper problems. I just don't really care because I understand it and I empathize with it. Because, yeah, because you were a little hothead on the uh-huh. tennis court. You're damn right I was. You're damn right I was. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be on my high horse. And also I would say, look, man, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, not the gold standard for competition. I just heard this guy wrote a book about Kobe talking on a podcast about how Kobe injured one of his teammates in practice just to win a rebounding drill and was hyped about it. So, like, (laughs) we can't lionize these other guys because great competitors sometimes do things that are not super admirable. You a big John McEnroe guy? Hell yeah! How could you not love that? That's so great. That's so entertaining for the sport. I love that, man. Maybe this is a big old zag for me, but like I'm I'm bored by everybody being the same and everybody being cookie cutter perfect. Like if it be who you are, all right? That's my message for the day. I mean, don't hurt <laughs> other people. Don't do things that are reckless in the context of the game. And there's an argument to be made that maybe LeBron did that here. But be yourself. I'm going to I'm going to put that on a cat poster on on our wall in our apartment. Be um, yourself. Final Lakers uh, news, I will say. They bring in Isaiah Thomas. He drops 19 points in the debut, uh, dropped 42 points in the G League as well. They bring him in specifically because Malik Monk goes into protocols, but like we've touched down, the whole effing league is in protocols right now. Um, I think IT's got a little juice back in the tank. You know, I was skeptical. You know, we talked about this a little bit. Um, damn, excuse me. Wow. <laughs> Shout out that. That was gross. Um, I just ate before this. That's pretty disgusting. Okay, um, you don't need to keep talking about it. No, I think uh, IT was really inefficient last time using the NBA. I do think there's, especially for a team like LA that doesn't really need any more, you don't need interior defensive presences. You need guys who can create off the dribble. Um, Malik's good at it, you know, uh, but you don't really have any other guys outside of LeBron and Russ who can do it off the bounce. So I think having a guy like IT is really interesting. Um, I'm glad he's back here, and I think he can play a, a decently valuable role to this rotation uh, down the stretch. Again, he doesn't bring anything defensively. You don't really need it. I like I like them bringing in a little more shot creation. Sure. 
No downside. Isaiah Thomas will not play meaningful minutes for this team, though. Uh, there's just no way. I mean, yeah, there will be individual games in which, hey, you bring him in, he gives you a little bit of spark. I mean, he can be like a Trey Burke-type figure, okay? He can be fine, but it's not really a meaningful addition for them. I think that's a fair comparison. Call me crazy. What a fall from grace, man. This guy was in the MVP race, and Carson pulls out a... I don't disagree. I actually think it's kind of it's kind of apt. Thank you. And actually, he was, again, one of my favorite players in the world when he was an MVP candidate. All right, here's my Lakers take. Ready? We got bogged down a little bit talking about LeBron's character. Here's what I'm officially going to say. Maybe I've pretty much said this before, but there is just no world in which they win a title. And when I say no world, I mean it. And, you know, we've talked about maybe wanting to see, oh, a little bit more LeBron healthy. And it's like, yeah, there's a long way to go. They're super flawed. We can't just presumptively give them credit. But I think we're officially talking about the Lakers too much because they just don't progress. I mean, they're 24th in offensive rating. And they're back to being a top 10 defense. That's fine and dandy. That was like the bare minimum expectation. They were the best defense in basketball last year and pretty much the year before that. It's not nearly enough. It's not nearly enough for them to be legitimate contenders. And... They're 11-7 and seven when LeBron plays. Of course, they're better. They outscore opponents by 2.4 points per 100 when he's out there. They're an above-average team. That's not nearly enough, given all of the other glaring flaws that exist on this roster. So, like, there's just no way that they're healthy enough, that they get a good enough Russell Westbrook, who's scoring on 52.6% true shooting this year, that they get enough out of their role, guys, that they shoot well enough, and that they get the best player in the world, LeBron, that is needed for them to be in that conversation. They've done nothing to justify that, and it would be an absolute miracle. So, as we said before, the outside of the top three teams in the West, everybody's flawed enough that, yeah, the Warriors, can, the, the Lakers can get to be the fourth best in that conversation. But there's just no way, man. It's way more likely that they lose in the first round than that they even make the Western Conference Finals. And from this point forward... I think that I've had enough talking about the Lakers until they do something to significantly say, hey, we deserve the attention. Like them just continuing to run into issues and make little jumps and then regress, it's not enough. They're just not, I don't see the path. I don't see the path of them being even a very good team at this point. And uh, for all the reasons that I laid out. And the AD stuff is a bummer, man, but it's also like, hey, it's Anthony Davis. You get what you get. He's been underwhelming all year. He's always going to deal with injury stuff. This team is frustrating. They're disappointing. At the same time, we knew what a lot of these flaws were going to be coming into the year. This is why I didn't have them coming out of the West. It's just been uglier than I think, obviously, I could have anticipated or really anybody. But Lakers, yeah, fed enough. Disappointing. This is a uh, this is a phenomenal take. I completely agree with you. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm trying to think about it's just it's just not in the cards. I am still I'm mad every day for for two reasons uh, that they didn't trade for Buddy Heald. Um, one, I just think it's a better fit. I also just would have loved to have seen the Frankenstein in Sacramento with Russell Westbrook or excuse me, not Russ. Am I talking about uh, just what what the Kings would have without Buddy because he so clearly doesn't want to be there. Um, I just wish they had traded for Buddy. I just th- still think that would have been the best move for this team. But uh, nope, we have this and. Uh, I don't know. Maybe is LeBron's contract up after this year? No. LeBron's contract is up. When is it up? Year after, I think. 
Yeah. It'll be up after the 22-23 season. Well, we'll get him to see him pull off some some GM moves this next offseason. But, yeah, I think it's kind of a wash this year, man. I, I don't really think they have – I don't think they have any chance of the title uh, either. Their title window's over. I don't think that there's any move that they're making from this point forward. I mean, you're not getting plus value for Russell Westbrook. They don't have other significantly impactful players on this roster. And to ask LeBron to continue to carry that load, especially if AD is going to be in and out of the lineup and not play like he did in that finals run, Lakers are not winning another title. Mark it down. LeBron is not winning another title. I can say that with 90% confidence. Everybody around them is too good and too complete. And it just feels like so many things would have to go right for the Lakers. And even in their finals run, kind of a lot of things had to go right for them and the league was significantly weaker like the teams that were contending alongside them just are not what they are now I mean you go through the Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals and the Heat in the Finals and it's like yeah those are respectable teams and I love those teams but compared to what we have from the Warriors and the Nets and the Bucks and the Jazz and the Suns right now it's just like in a different league so all right there you have it Lakers it's not looking good There's one more team out west, though, for whom it is looking quite good, and that is the Memphis Grizzlies, who have now won 10 of 11 games without John Morant, who has been dealing with a knee injury and that also has been in COVID protocols. What do we make of this, Logan? I mean, it's just that mentality, man. It's the the personnel, the identity. Like you said, 10 and 1 the last 11. Um Number one in defensive rating over the last 11 games, 97. I mean, it's four points better than any other defense in the NBA. They're fourth in offensive rating. And it's I, we, we touched on this uh, a little bit um, back with Carvel. Lead the NBA in rebounds per game during that time span. They're number one in rebounds per game on the season. Uh, the boys in the trenches, Tillman, Steven Adams, they do such a good job of securing second chances for this team on offense and getting out and running the floor uh, on defense for them, uh, throwing outlet passes. Uh, They lead the NBA in steals per game during the span. They're number one in steals per game on the season. They're second in blocks per game during the span. They're tied for second in blocks per game on the season. And during this run, they're tied for eighth in assists. Like, they move the ball well on offense. This is a deep-ass, unselfish offensive team with a defensive mentality. And, I mean, you talk about deep teams. They're a solid nine deep with ten deep with, with a healthy job Morant. Uh, maybe you could say 11 deep with how John Conchar has been playing lately, Carson. 70% from deep over these last 10 games. Pretty nice, huh? You scoffed. 70%? What is that? 7 of 10? <laughs> it's like one and a half attempts per game, yeah. Dude's uh-huh. nice. Um, <laughs> I mean, I the versatile weapons here, man. Triple J, uh, nearly 20 a night. Dylan Brooks, 19 a night. Uh, Desmond Bain, 18 a night. Melton, 11. There is one thing that I wanted to spell shortly while we're here that we didn't get a chance to do with Carvel. Uh, you made this spiel a couple weeks ago. Look, dude, the people that think Triple J is a fundamentally different person are stupid. They're so dumb. Like, like, why do you... <laughs> the only reason that he's averaging 20 a night is because Jaw isn't out there and he gets to huck up every three he gets a ch- look at. Like, bruh, the guy is shooting... Yeah, I get for that, like, what was it, like a 10... It's like five or six games, and he was averaging 20 on 40% shooting from deep. Well, he's regressed to 34% from behind the arc. Like, yeah, man. A Triple J who is shooting 40% from behind the arc is pretty valuable. But if he's not doing that, he's still the fundamentally same player. He is... Let me let me, let me, let me me find a good comp real quick. Like, he's 6'11". 
I don't want to say Kyle Korver because he's not just a straight-up catch-and-shooter. He's got a little bit of on-ball creation, but he's like... who? He's, he's a tall, like, Gary Trent, bruh. Cool. <laughs> I don't know. He's a tall... He's not that good, and he's never going to be that good because of the way he plays basketball, but I digress. If I do want to poke some holes into this, Carson... I don't mean to put asterisks on these winning streaks, but I feel it's very important to acknowledge these things. They beat the Kings without Fox and Mitchell. They beat the Blazers without McCollum. They beat the Sixers without Embiid. They beat the Rockets without KPJ. They beat the Heat without Bam. They beat the Mavs without Luka. They destroyed the Thunder without SGA. And they beat the Raptors without Gary Trent. So they've won three games, or they've played three games during the streak with relatively healthy rosters. The Lakers, they beat the Kings, and they lost to a healthy Mavs squad. Granted, again, this has all been without John Morant. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say this isn't as impressive. But they have not been beating all of these teams also at full health. So I think that matters in talking about this team. But, um... It's crazy. It's crazy that they're able to stay at this level defensively, and I think this team is arguably going to be up there with... Call me crazy uh, if you want. I think this team has a propensity to maybe be up there with the Warriors for best defense in the league the rest of the way. I know it's not there on the entirety of this season, uh, but this is a special defensive unit. And I mean, you got a lot of really good offensive weapons here, man. Brooks and Bain, or Brooks off uh, off the dribble is special. Um, what Bain and Triple J can do from behind the arc is special. Um it's been impressive. I expect this defensive uh, identity to stay here. I'm still skeptical about the offense long-term because, I mean, what is Triple J going to be doing? Like, I don't know, man. I just, I don't like Triple J and Ja uh, on the court at the same time. I wish he just, uh, beating a dead horse here, I just wish he had a better second co-star. I feel like you really buried the lead here. I mean, you didn't even touch on what to me is the most interesting element of this, and it is looking at, okay, why have the Memphis Grizzlies been significantly better without John Morant this year? I mean, the record is one thing, obviously. Well, I don't think he significantly makes them better. Okay. I think that that's the most interesting part. I don't mean that because of him as an individual. I mean that is because of the roster composition. Like, you don't have a whole lot of... I don't know. Like, if you want to maximize Ja, you got to use him like LeBron and put a bunch of just catching shooters around him. I feel like the Grizzlies are just kind of... I don't know. They're... When you have a guy like Tyus Jones who spreads the ball with a lot of good scorers and offensive players around this team, I feel like you can supplement him a little bit. I completely agree. But you're over there hating on Triple J, and it's like, look. I have to. This has to be. If everybody else is going to praise him, we got to hate on him, bro. Here's the thing. When you have a guy who's in his third year and is putting up 25-7 and and is so dynamic and jaw-dropping to watch and just has obviously this immense potential— it's pretty darn interesting when his team goes 10-1 and one in the 11 games that he misses. And I think that there's several concrete and honestly predictable reasons for that. And the Grizzlies have never been like a completely different team statistically with Jaw on the floor. His on-off numbers have never been super impressive. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. And first and foremost, this year has been the defense. Because the Grizzlies have always been a defense-first team. I mean, that is where they have excelled. That's been their identity the grit, the grind on that end. And this year, they had just been a bad defense when Ja was out there on the floor. Over their last 11 games, they have a defensive rating of 96.9. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's significantly better than anybody else in basketball. And it makes sense because Ja had found a way over the last couple years to be competent defensively. Never a plus defender, maybe even never a neutral defender, but he had his moments at least. And it's not like glaring, oh my God, get this guy off the floor. 
This year, he was letting people shoot almost 52% when he's their primary defender, which is better than 6% better than their normal. I mean, truly one of the worst marks in the league. And the Grizzlies' defense has been 14 points per 100 possessions worse with him on the floor. That is a first percentile mark. It's obviously a complete flip from being awful defense to exceptional defense. So that really matters. And for Jaw to be a significantly impactful player on winning to the extent that his counting stats would suggest, his talent would suggest, that needs to improve significantly. Because if you are taking away from what should be your team's greatest strength, that's a real problem, obviously. So... Is there a question on, I don't know, man, like, should, should they shop jaw around? Like, should... No. Absolutely not. I just think this is a third-year guy who still has to refine his game in a number of ways. And he's their foundational building block. I mean, he's a special talent. None of that changes. But it's just interesting because, like, of course, the famous Ewing theory, which was first brought about by Bill Simmons about a team being better without their best player or one of their star players, I always think it's really intriguing to look at, okay, why might that be a case in each given context? Because then you also look offensively, and yeah, I think the defense is clearly where the biggest difference has been. They've also been the number four offense in this stretch, though, and there is just a balance and an unselfishness that you gotta love. You mentioned it, man. Brooks, Bain, some other guys on this roster, they can get buckets, they can facilitate, the ball moves, they have shooters, and Jaw, as incredible as he is, is not a super efficient offensive engine. I mean, he's going to give you like 56% true shooting. He's going to consume this year a whole lot of touches when he's on the floor, and it can be somewhat predictable. So I still think he's great. I still think you're right. He would be maximized in a different situation where it is just unbelievable shooting around him, and the Grizzlies are a team that is predicated on getting into the paint as they were last year, and sometimes it's like, okay, are we maximizing what Jaw can be? I still think he needs to improve as a playmaker, because his raw assist output should just be higher now, given that he is doing so much more collapsing defenses and has taken on a greater overall offensive load than when he was like a rookie. But he is an incredible reactive passer and does make some great reads. And he's gotten a whole lot better. But it doesn't really shock me that they've been better without him. I think that they want to have John Morant, but sometimes he is a high volume, not super efficient, significant minus defensively guy. And... When he's as talented as he is and he's a third-year player, hey, you're certainly going to live with that. And I made a video praising John how great he's been this year. But it is definitely interesting what we've seen. And it's been a lot of fun. And the Grizzlies are just a machine, man. And it really doesn't feel like they need that one person to be there because of their identity, their depth, the versatility of shot creators who they have. And they're a very different team without Jaw out there. Where do you have the Grizzlies like in your in your hierarchy out west? Uh, this was I know this is part of the segment we were going to do, but like, are they? I know they're fourth out west right now. Are they fourth as a team out west for you? So tough to say. I mean, they do feel like. Again, you talk about top end talent, and they don't have it. You know, I mean, you, the Clippers have Paul George, the Lakers have LeBron, the Nuggets have Jokic, the Mavs have Luka. T-Wolves have an amazing offensive trio. Like, all of these teams, you look at the top-end talent here, and it's like, you know, they beat them, but I think the Grizzlies make a really strong case as being the fourth team out west. Sure, they do. Everybody is ugly to watch in those four through nine spots in the west. Like, nobody is consistently just really good. I actually think 
the the Nuggets with Jamal Murray might be the fourth best team in the West again. I still think I would probably bet on the Lakers. A, I don't know. I think they're in like the same tier as the Grizzlies. That shocks you? I don't know, man. Like you need to be reasonable about this. It's a team that has been playing really good defense and has LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook, and the Grizzlies are still lacking in that element of star power, but I think that they deserve to be in the top six. But they make up for it in defense, right? Like, I trust the Grizzlies' defense a whole hell of a lot more than I trust the Lakers. I don't know about a whole hell of a lot more. The Grizzlies' defense sucked straight up when Jaw was on the floor this year. They were in the 20s in defensive rating. And Jaw's coming back. Yeah, because Jaw was out there. Oh, I'm sorry. Are they going to continue to not have Jaw Morant? They're still going to be... I don't know. I think it's still... I think they're still going to be top 10 when Jaw gets back. I hope so. But I don't know, man. The West is a crapshoot outside of those top three. And there's <laughs> honestly not many teams who I love watching. Like, the Clippers offense is just like, nope. The Mavs offense at times is just like, nope, none for me, thanks. It's a weird year outside of the elite contenders, and the Grizzlies are a part of that. But props to them. They're playing great basketball right now, and I think we can all appreciate that. So, there you have it, everybody. Our latest thoughts on the many wild things that have been going on throughout the NBA. Hope that you all have enjoyed. Now, we are obviously in the holiday season, so we may not have the same content schedule as always, but we're obviously going to continue to try to come out with stuff. Just might not be three times a week with the podcast might not be once a week with the YouTube videos as we normally try to do. But of course, still, we're going to get stuff out to you guys. So you can find all of that on our YouTube channel where we live stream shows. Normally when we're together, may not be able to do that throughout the holidays either. But you can listen to those podcasts then on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your audio content. You can see the video stuff that we do on YouTube. You can find all of our content on nerdsesh.com, audio, video, and written. You can follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh, and Instagram is at nerdsesh. And with that, as always, I've been Carson Brabber. I've been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Are you self-conscious about your smile due to stains? Have you ever wished that you had a whiter and brighter smile? Smile Actives is a safe and affordable alternative to expensive whitening procedures. You simply add Smile Actives gel to your toothpaste every time you brush your teeth, making it the easiest teeth whitening solution out there. 
In a clinical trial, SmileActive's users reported up to five shades whiter on average, all within seven days. No change to your routine, no extra time. Right now, they are running a buy one, get one offer. Hurry to SmileActives.com iHeart today to receive this special offer with free shipping and handling.